0: in prayer. Father, indeed, as we open Your Word, I think of the words we've just sung together, Lord. Renew our minds. I think of the Scripture that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We ask, Lord, that that would be achieved through Your Holy Spirit working in us this morning as we share together in Your words. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. We're in the book of Romans, the 14th chapter, and we'll be looking, we'll be beginning with verse 1 and going through uh, verse 12 as we read this morning. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Each one should be fully convinced in his mind, his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord, so then. I'll confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Before I actually get into that, I want to get to go back a little bit a couple of weeks ago when I started back in in Romans here in chapter 15 actually. the The section that we're looking at is primarily covers through chapter fourteen and fifteen of Romans. But I want to go back to verses 5, 6, and 7 of chapter 15 uh, to get, again, a gist of what Paul is driving for in in what he's going and discussing here. Chapter 15, verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may have one voice. Glorify the God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Picture of, of what the emphasis that I, I tried to bring last week was this whole idea of living in harmony. One voice. Welcome one another. We, and this idea of welcome, I went through pretty extensively last week, but or two weeks ago, I guess. but But welcome one another, this idea to receive someone to yourself in such a way that, that you give them that confidence that, uh, that you care about them, that you're interested in them. It's more of a sense uh, of, of almost gra- bringing them into an embrace. And not just an embrace out of duty, but an embrace out of care, concern, and love. To welcome them, to accept them is another, uh, some of the verses use the word accept, that idea of drawing them in is what is meant here. With that idea of welcome and drawing in and, and coming together in that way, and you think of the emphasis since chapter 12 of Paul referencing the, the idea of how we love one another and, and to be in unity together, this live in harmony with one voice can only be achieved if we are receiving each other this way. And if we're receiving each other this way, I'll tell you, if you truly embrace a, a fellow believer uh as, as one who you care about or are interested in and concerned for, you're not going to find yourself uh, on the other side of a discussion at some point where it's not going well for that person. In other words, you'll find yourself either defending them or saying, I'm not interested in hearing that kind of stuff. It kind of has a way of curbing gossip, or at least our participation in it. And, and because you, you want to, you, you know this person, you receive, and you're interested in their well being. And note the purpose. The purpose is for the glory of God. I think of the, uh, I mentioned this, I know uh, when we preached on this, uh, Westminster Confession, the very first statement, the very first question is what is the purpose of man? The purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy our fellowship with Him or our relationship with Him or eternal life with Him. The idea is to enjoy Him, to be in a relationship with Him. And how do we do that? Again, by embracing one another in such a way that we come to Him together, not just privately, but together as the body of Christ. Now, the question has to come back into this, how is this possible? How is this kind of unity possible? Look at our, our, our differences. And we tend to do that a lot. No matter where we are, no matter what place it is. I, I, I think I mentioned, uh, again, uh, sitting next to a, a, a choir member. as a, just been a Christian only a short time. And uh, we were all having to stay on the, the stage because the church was crowded and and uh, in walked a genuine you know, of course you got to understand the time the mid seventies a genuine hippie couple, and uh, complete with the the bell bottoms on the guy and the long dress on the girl and the hair down to here. I think I pretty well described it then when I did that and and his hair was down to here, and his beard was pretty full and uh, I could hear a couple of voices down uh, and the person who shared the baritone section with me. Uh, Look what the wind blew in. And I thought, I, I really wondered what they said when I first came. Because I had long hair, full beard, and, and uh, it, it, you know, I, they, I wondered why. Did they only embrace me because I was a baritone and they needed one? Uh, you know, it's one of those things where we, we see our differences very quickly. And we tend... To flock together in such a way that is where we have common interests and these types of things, resulting in a, you know a sense of, of of bonding over over various things. But even in here today, there's a diversity. Uh, I, I was writing down the, these things as I was thinking about them actually earlier. But what are some of the differences? Well, uh, if if we uh look within the the any church you're going to see some differential between uh references to you know say finances. There's some people uh, I, I can I, I mean there's some people in our congregation that are existing on social security alone, and I can think of a couple of them where it's under nine hundred dollars a month. That's not very much money today. And I know that there's there's some here that are doing much better than that. And so there's a difference in our finances. There's a difference in our educations, where we were educated, how we were educated. Uh, I I can think of uh, some people that uh, primary education, at least their their first several years of education, in some cases all through their uh, elementary and high school, was in a a Christian school. And others who up to the 8th grade were in a Christian school and then went to a public school some who've had public school all their life, some that are homeschooled. So we have different ideas about the education, how it works, and what, what is working best for your family. Physical differences, various stages of health, uh, you know, are represented uh, in here. But the thing that, that we're concerned about aren't those things, as much as what we're talking about is our differences in, in our way we look at God and the way we understand His Word. This is where Paul really wants to see unity. And it's probably one of the hardest places for us to find it. What it requires, since we don't agree on everything, and I don't know any... any I, I have yet to be in a, a church group that agreed on everything... Uh, you know, uh, we need to establish, and, and I think Paul spent a good part of the book of Romans doing this, establishing what the core essence of what we believe together is the, the, the very nature of what it is to be a believer in Christ. Certainly centered around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the need of man for a Savior. The fact that we can't save ourselves. Paul is, is just Romans is so emphasizes these things. And so we find ourselves in agreement about a very essential core and quite candidly that's the core that binds the body of Christ globally all through history past present future. Yet some of us all of us have for lack of a better word some distinctives that we hold on to that are maybe unique to our group or unique to a particular way of thinking. Certainly, uh, you know, we, I mentioned a, a couple of them uh, a couple of weeks ago, but you know, we could get into uh, the, the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's 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 a group that's called secessionists who believe that certain gifts are no longer used today. There's continuationists who believe all the gifts are used today, and within the framework of that, there's various degrees of how they are used. And, and so churches tend to congregate around how they view the Holy Spirit. What's the essential part of, of, of the idea of the Holy Spirit, though? There is a Holy Spirit. He is God. He, he's not a substance. He's a person. And that He gives the gifts to the church. And he empowers us to use them. And he indwells us at the point uh, of of our confession of faith at the point that we believe. Those kinds of things we unite together and we agree with. And what that allows me to be able to do is to go across town and and, and enter into worship in another church and be perfectly comfortable even though we're looking at some things probably different in in, a kind of peripheral area. These core values, these essentials, the grounds for our unity. And like I said, death, burial, or resurrection of Jesus Christ is the the key to it. Paul says if this didn't happen, we're we're to be pitied for what we believe. (laughs) Uh, Because if it didn't happen, we're living a fantasy world. But Paul says that's not a real if. That's just an argument if. It did happen. There is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's a historical event. The areas that we can disagree in, then we will generally call non-essentials. The areas we need to agree in, we will call essentials. Uh, And I was reminded uh, a couple weeks ago, again, the statement that was made by uh, Augustine, one of the early church fathers in the the 4th and 5th century. Uh, And he uh, said, in in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity or love. Not charity in the sense of, (laughs) but charity in the sense of love. So with that in mind, that need for that Paul is emphasizing, you know, unity, harmony, one voice, and the sense of what is important in our faith that draws us together in such a way that God is glorified, for the purpose of glorifying God. And this is not just for the purpose of glorifying God in our presence amongst ourselves, but that the outside world can look in and see the church and its relationship with each other. Again, I know I say this a lot, but how did Jesus say he, that we would be known as his followers? By our love for one another. How we love each other. People on the outside, they're, they're really, candidly, they're, they're not even interested in our doctrine. If they, have, they don't know the Lord, what they're interested in is, is whether or not they see a sense of love and compassion. Because that is missing just about everywhere else. the world today so Paul says something very important here verse 14 he says as for the one who is weak in faith welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions now I want to emphasize first the welcome because this is the same word out of 15 verse 7 where we're to welcome or accept one another. It's really important we grasp this because what God is saying is I want you to accept those I've already accepted. <laughs> Does that make sense? I want you to accept those I've already em- embraced and accepted. So we are to accept the same word, embrace one another. I I, I struggle with this phrase, the the one who is... is is. Weak in faith. Actually, I I, I am confident that the, the, the full, that the the, the the before faith should be there, and it's weak in the faith. Not that their faith is weak in the sense of where they are, but their understanding of the faith is not mature yet. But this idea of being, uh, uh, in a sense, you know, incomplete in their in their their growth and then i realized who does that include in fact I, there, I think i can't remember who it was that was in their in their writing was challenging uh the reader to, to say which where are you in this category about weak in faith and i started to think about it and i thought you know any one of us can be weak in one area of, of faith in our understanding of our walk with christ and very strong in another area uh when I first became a Christian, the one thing I absolutely had no doubts about was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because I had done everything I could to get out from underneath that. I'd spent a year and a half of reading and looking and studying before I ever asked Christ to be my Savior. And the reason I asked was I came to that point where there's no other conclusion. There is no other conclusion. I won't go into the details at this point, but those of you who know my testimony know what I went through to get to that point, and it was finally okay, God, I surrender. You, you must be who you say you are. But I didn't have a clue about creation, I did everything I could to shuffle everything that I had learned in my life in reference to the earth and its, and, and, and its existence. And you've got to understand, I was not raised in a Christian home. I did not go to Christian schools and I did not go to a, a, a church but a few times with my grandmother and, and again, the typical kinds of things, uh, weddings and funerals. And I'd gone all the way through College, got my teaching credential, and everything that I had learned was evolution, primarily Big Bang. And, you know, there's an interesting thing. You think it, you catch a little bit of glimpse of, of some kind of, a, of, of, of lack of confidence in the system when you realize that when I started my studies, in, in the sense of a, a student in school, in my grammar school years, there the, most of everything was talked about in in millions hundreds of millions and kind of hinting at billion by the time i got into college it was billions in order to create the possibility of because every time science was turning around from the 1950s uh, my childhood from the 1950s Every, every time time turned around, it was finding out something new that it couldn't explain and it needed more time for the accident of, of Big Bang to happen. More and more and more and more time. But I didn't even think about that. I, I, I came to this conclusion. I, I finally came to this point. I know how it happened. At some point in the evolutionary chain, God breathed into an ape or an ape, you know, uh, and, and that created it. The, the the species of human and humanity as we know it and the, and, and, and and I you know, and I thought that was I thought that was pretty amazing that I came to that conclusion found out there was actually other people that had come to that same conclusion uh, and and wrongly I'll tell you now but but the the point is is that I was really strong in one area and I was really weak in another. And I think we're going to go through, I I, I see where, I can see some people and I I look at their walk and I think of of some aspects of it because I I know them. And I'm almost envious in a sense of, of how close they are to the Lord in specific areas where I seem to be at a distance. I mean, and I tell people, I have people come to me and say, "Will you pray for me?" Because I know God hears you. You know, <laughs> He hears you too. Uh, but but this idea of of just realizing that I think this idea of weak in the faith can actually be any of us at some point in time as we're growing in the Lord. And if we actually get down to it, how many of us have achieved the idea of of where we actually have attained it all, anyway. So in some ways, we're all weak in the faith. So I, I want to be careful here that nobody takes offense at the phrase "weak in the faith," because it wasn't—it's not meant to be offensive, as much as it's meant to explain that there are different times in our in our in the point in time where we are, the way we 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 relate to God, that uh, is not. It's immature compared to who God really is. And one of the things that they were talking about here, as for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. By the way, not to quarrel over opinions. When you welcome someone into, you've got a a gist of what they believe. The idea isn't to welcome them into your presence so that you can debate over their opinions. And, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that that can't happen. What I'm saying is, don't that if that's your motive. I, I mean, I can think of I, you know trying to you, know, you invite somebody over for dinner because you're going to convince them, you know, this type of thing. You know that, that's not the intent of welcoming them, embracing them, and, and 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 receiving them to yourself. the The weak in the faith, the ones that he talks about here, and I've already read the verses is the one who doesn't eat meat. We'll get to this in a minute. Verse 5, the one who observes special days. And actually in verse 21, possibly in in, in tying that one in, uh, the one who who doesn't drink wine. I want to first make sure you understand this is not the same issues as those who are teaching a different gospel. Or a different doctrine in the sense of what Paul is talking about, for instance, in the book of Galatians. We're not talking about the Judaizers who are coming in and saying, you mu- basically, you must first be a Jew so that you can be a Christian. That, we're not talking about these. What we're talking about is, is less important issues where Paul would say at this point, no, this, you receive this person. Paul says when it comes to the Judaizers and the the, the gospel that was coming with it, he says, don't receive this, it's anathema. So it's very clear that he's not talking to, these people are received in the church, embraced, they're Christians, they're believers, they just hold some things uh, as to the way they walk with the Lord that are important to them to, in this case, abstain from or to participate in, either way. One of them is 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 to not eat meat, for instance. There was a concern and and, and some people think this might have been the the uh, a Jewish population because of their their dietary laws. they were concerned about being in Rome and going to the meat market, so to speak and 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 not having kosher meat. so it's better to not take a chance we won't eat it unless we can get but I think it's broader than that. If that at all, quite candidly, I think the real problem was is that you had a number of people who were brought up in the in the in the Gentile world in a pagan society, and the ma- the majority of the meat that they ate had been sacrificed to idols. I think it was Ray Stedman in a sermon back in the '60s said uh, they were eating Uh, McI- burgers. uh you know. And, and the, the idea was, was that, in fact, even the places where you bought your meat frequently was near a temple, a, a pagan temple. The priests, get, everybody gets the, the, the portion that they're supposed to get in their worship, and the priests always had a surplus. What did they do? They took the surplus and sold it to the butcher, basically, and the butcher sells it to the public. The question was, now that I'm a Christian... Can I eat meat that's already been sacrificed to a pagan idol? Now I'm going to ask you point blank: Would would you go to? And I'm not going to name any stores. That would be, I guess, a terrible thing to do because somebody, I could just hear somebody say, "Pastor Bob said so and so is a pagan." Um, Yeah, but you go to some market. And you know that the guy is into some kind of sacrificial religion and that they bleed their goats and they bleed their cows and and everything else in a particular worship manner that has nothing to do with God, has nothing to do with the Bible, has nothing to do with the Christian walk. I don't know. Would you feel comfortable going in and buying your meat there? I have to tell you, I don't think I would. I probably wouldn't shop there. Uh, somebody could tell me they had the best you know, cuts of meat in town. There's just something about the idea of something being sacrificed to an idol that turns me the other way. And those of you who know me know that I am not a vegetarian. I have been called an opportunivore. Uh, whatever's available at any given time. But, but the, the idea is, is I really I enjoy meat. It's a regular part of the diet. and I have mostly chicken and fish as I've gotten older, but it doesn't change the fact that I really love a good steak. Even. So it has nothing to do with that for me. Uh, but if, if that was the only alternative, I could see that I might become a vegetarian. It's a good thing I really like vegetables too. I think you see what I'm getting at. Is it's easy to understand how some people would say, "Is this? How do I deal with this? Uh, it, it, I can't bring myself to do it. Therefore, I won't do it." And yet, Paul says, "You're all, we're, we're free to to eat this meat if we understand. If we're giving thanks to God and praising Him for the provision to, to buy it, and stuff, we're free to, to to do this. And 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 from a Jewish point of view." The door was opened back in Acts chapter 10. When Peter is having the vision and God opens up a sheet full of, of unclean animals and says, Peter, I'd like you to eat these. Peter says, I can't. They're unclean. I'll be unclean. Peter, three times. Finally, Peter got the gist of what God was going for. Nothing that God creates is unclean. The thing that is unclean is me inside. That's the issue. And even Jesus basically drives that point home in his teachings. So I become that believer who simply chooses not to eat meat. But you are free to eat it. Okay, how do we deal with this? Because my reason for not eating it is a for lack of better words a religious purpose it has to do with my faith and i believe that somehow it corrupts me if i do it well paul makes it real clear in here don't despise me for that in other words don't you know see it as as oh, you you ridiculous person, and, and disregard my position. It's not an essential about salvation. We're not talking about salvation. It's an area, and, and it's one of those things where it's not our job to disrupt that. God in his time, if that person wants, to, you know, and, and can see it, he may make a, a, a transition and change. but we're not to despise or judge from either side. Notice how he puts that. Uh, look at it. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. It's not supposed to go either way. You know, we can get to, to, to further down the line of non-essentials in the sense of faith, or at least they should be, to play cards or not to play cards. That is the question. Um, I've been in a church, uh, the first church I attended as, as a believer uh, card playing, I, I didn't know it. you'd never knew it to read their <laughs> statement of faith or anything but but uh, I, I've shared this story many times, but one of the elders uh, was a supplier of, of, of stuff that I used in my shop uh, and, and so I was in purchase uh, picking up some supplies and and he said, "Hey, Bob, come here a minute." I said, yeah, Tom. And he says, here, a, a, a salesman gave me a deck of cards. you want them? I said, sure. And I put them in my pocket. And, and as I was walking away, he says, you play cards? I call that today entrapment. But anyway, um, I said, yeah. <laughs> he says, no. He says, think about it. Cards are played in gambling places. They're used for fortune telling. And he just went on and on and on and on. And he convinced me. I think, well, yeah, but now what do we do with them? <laughs> you know? And uh, I was kind of, you know, he tossed them into the wastebasket. I really, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't know the room. It's interesting. When I got off to Bible college, I found all sorts of play, people to play cards, including some of our instructors, who were all of the same general brotherhood of believers, you know, in the sense of, of, of how they, 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 they looked at things. And I remember one of my instructors, his name was Dallas, Missouri. Tremendous card player. He loved bridge. He loved hearts. And... uh one night he's, he's, he's got a, a, a hearts little, you know, set up a, a group of people playing hearts at his house. And a friend of his from out of town happens by, unannounced, and he saw that Dallas was playing cards. And he was overwhelmed because he said, I thought you were like I believe. And he started to really reprimand. And he says, look, I... You need to understand that it works both ways how this works. You're not to condemn me. I'm not to, 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 to you know, push you away or, or despise you. I, I, you know, I would never invite you to my house on card night because I wouldn't want to put you in a position of, of awkwardness. But there's nothing wrong with me playing cards from my side of looking at it. I'm not violating my faith in any way. Now he went immediately to the about causing your brother to stumble thing. We're going to get into that later, because it's that is very misused and abused a lot. But the idea basically is, is that what is what is it that really brings us together, to play cards or not to play cards? No, that's not it. it, it for some people though, it's it, it's important that they don't. I'll share with you. I most of you know i do not preach thou shalt not drink i can't find anywhere in the scripture that says thou shalt not drink i find several scriptures that say be careful how much you drink and to be you know this type of thing and not to be drunk with wine and there's several verses that that talk about what happens in the old testament and new testament about being drunk with wine etc don't so don't misunderstand i'm not condoning going out and having you know Huge parties and you know and, and drinking until you're, you're drunk and all this kind of stuff, but I don't drink. Not, I'm a teetotaler. I don't drink. It has nothing to do with the law. It has to do with me. For me to drink is a sin. I'm not going to go into great detail about it, other than that that's the reality. I have several Christian friends who have wine with their dinner. I can sit at the table with them. I'm not, in, I'm not, it doesn't cause any stumbling blocks or problems for me. And I don't come up with, well, you shouldn't do that, you know, this type, of, because it's not a part of of my faith system. Now, there'd be a difference if I came by your house and found you, you know, you know, intoxicated and in, and in, in trying to you know get your key into the car and can't find the keyhole or whatever, um, but we have a sense of of allowing people to come to uh, a point where there's certain things in, in in our faith system that has nothing to do with salvation or being saved or or, or sanctification it has to do with what's needful for me and. So Paul, what he ends up saying is, 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 you know, uh, verse five, the end of verse five, he says, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, you need to be able to lay your faith principles on the altar of God and walk away with a contented feeling that you and God are in good relationship and good, you know, in a good rapport with each other. And I can do that. With my drinking. I know that I know that I know I am where I'm supposed to be in reference to that. But that, I I don't, it's not an issue of the church as much as it's an issue of my particular needs in relationship to my faith. And I will guarantee you, for me to drink is going to be a disruption in my relationship with God. How do I know? I was convinced at a point in time, as a Christian, since I was around a number of Christians, that, and, and I was convinced, oh, it's not a, I, I, I am free to drink. I had never dealt with drinking from a capacity of myself. I drank just to quit drinking because it was a rule. And it interfered with my walk with the Lord again. And I realized, Bob Hapgood can't drink. Mike, my good friend, he can I have friends who are vegetarians. They don't eat meat for various reasons. You know, uh, but I don't know any of them that don't eat meat by, because of a faith issue uh, in the circles that I run in. I do know that there are groups of people who don't uh, eat meat because of faith issues. Am I supposed to now disdain them, despise them, However, they're not to disdain or judge me either. And I have to tell you, there is a time where I, I received a seven-page letter from a, 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 an acquaintance uh, who was uh, it actually had to do with soul sleep. I, I had done a funeral and I said, This day you will be in paradise, Jesus said to the man on the cross. I believe that as soon as you close your eyes, here you're with the Lord in His presence. I believe that got a seven-page letter of why that was wrong that you soul sleep we all resurrect at the same time at the end of the age and it's like a quick blink of an eye it it won't make it but and i thought seven pages you know you know and 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 I, i read it all and i wasn't sure how to respond because the response was requested and i finally responded with a phone call saying you know this is what you believe this is what i believe i don't see it as an essential of faith we're just going to have to agree to disagree in love. And he was really like, Is that okay? And I said, I can't, Well, does, if I don't believe in soul sleep and you do, does that have any effect on our salvation? He said, Well, no. I rest my case. I am right. The big concern here, too, and 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 that was also, who are you to pass judge on another person's servant? Is is paraphrased, but uh, the way I said it, but who are you to judge another person's servant? There's, there's a master out here, and this person who doesn't eat and this person who does eat, we have the same master. Okay, but I am not master of him. He is not master of me. I have no authority. This is something he has to stand before God with as I have to stand before God with. Now, it's possible, quite interestingly, that somebody might influence me at a point in time as I see their walk with Christ and how close it is and other aspects of it. Maybe they've got something in, in right. You know what it was really great? The church that I was in were creationists. I didn't get kicked out as I wrestled with creation. Isn't that interesting? No, I was embraced. Now with the cards, that was another story. But um, Who are you to pass judgments? It's the Master's concern. God's accepted this person. Who are you not to accept Him? And the neat picture in verse 4 it is so powerful. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. In other words, I stand or fall in my faith before Jesus Christ. But look what it is if I am accepted by Christ, if I am a believer, and he will be upheld. I, because I'm a believer in Christ, I am going to be upheld. And I just love this picture. He will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Even when I am too weak to stand, even if I'm way way off base on some area, even there he's going to uphold me and ultimately make me stand. He is going to finish the work he began in me, period. I think that's awesome. So who am I to make a judge about a non-essential area? Now, interestingly enough, I don't fellowship where they believe in soul sleep. Has nothing to do specifically with that. There's some other issues, but they're not issues. I've actually preached in that church. I've even taught Sabbath school in that church. Uh, it's, it's not that, that uh, uh, I've been invited to do that. Uh, and so it's kind of an interesting, you know, it's not separating us. I've, I've, I've participated in one of their pageants uh, on their Christmas drive through. Uh, you know, uh, they looked at me and saw gray hair and a beard and said he'd make a great prophet um, or a shepherd. And uh, so, you know, the we want to make sure that the things that are what divides us are actually the things that matter. Does that make sense? That's really where Paul is trying to go with this, I believe. So the solution again here is that that it's not the rules about eating or don't eating, uh, you know, worship on one particular day or another particular day or, or or celebrate certain days that someone else doesn't celebrate. You know, those aren't the issues. Each one needs to be fully convinced in his own mind. It says, and that took me to Colossians 3:17. I know you're familiar with the verse, but it's it's just uh, that that picture of of uh, Uh, You know, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through Him. Whatever you do, lay it before God on the altar. That's where you're going to find your peace. And sometimes somebody, I have people say, Can I go to, well, can I go to the movies at the theater? And I'm trying to think, are you talking about a specific movie or in general? Now, this particular group of, of of young people at a camp were uh, of a Wesleyan background. Those of you who understand that understand that they don't go to movie theaters back then, at least. But it was kind of interesting. They wanted to know why it was okay to watch it on a video player at home. I had, I just said you have to ask your parents. <laughs> Paul is more concerned. And he's not really concerned about whether you eat meat or don't eat meat. He's not really concerned about what days you hold sacred and don't hold sacred in the sense of, of he says, every day it can, it can, is, is a God's holy day, if you will. It's a day that God has made. You know. um, he's not concerned about the, 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 the wine. He's, he, what he's concerned about is being drawn together about the very essence of who we are in Jesus Christ. The one thing that, that uh, you know, uh, I go. I'm looking at going backwards in Colossians in chapter two. It says, "You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This is set aside, nailing to nailed to the cross. There's the core." He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing triumphing over them in Him. This is who we are, not what we eat, but who we rest in for salvation and 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 His His death, burial, and resurrection. Paul makes it again clear. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. Again, that idea of conscience here. For none of us lives to himself. Who do we live to? We live to the Lord. For this end, Christ died and lived again that that He might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment? Why do you despise? Let me tell you, there's a point in time where every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. And what is going to happen on that day isn't going to be, did you eat meat? Did you worship on Saturday or Sunday? Uh, did you drink a glass of wine or not? What it's going to be is, what did you do with Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection? And that's going to be the core of it. Um, I don't live for myself that's one of the things he makes clear here i i I live for the lord first Uh, and i'm just i have to tell you i'm still i'm figuring that out how that works and i'm still working on it so there are people that at various times and, and and points in my walk that could look at me and have to scratch their head and say i thought he was he was closer to god than that i suppose that's even happened We're all working on it together. We all are in a position. There's not one of us in here that comes to salvation any other unique way. We all come the same way through the blood of Christ and Christ alone. Again, not what you eat or don't eat. So, uh, what I'd like to do is just to go ahead and, and enter into communion together this morning. And that reality, as the ushers come forward uh, to pass out the communion, uh, if you'd hold it until we're all all served and we'll share it together, but that reality, the the worship team is going to sing, I need thee every hour. Think about the words as we go through the song, as we prepare our hearts for communion. Constantly, that was the intent of the song. Uh, You know, I can't, uh, uh, I can't make it without him. Not even as I am saved, in my saved, I still need to be surrendering to him. It made me think of a of a gentleman, who uh, I mentioned him before. I, I met. He sets his watch five minutes off the hour to go beep just once, and it's to remind him if he had thought about God in the last hour. And you know, he says it, just that idea to, if nothing more than to look out a window or look around or just to have a thought. He says, "God, I just want to be reminded of who you are in my life." And I thought, you know, uh, that was kind of interesting. Uh, just it was his way of reminding himself. But what we need to do is always come before the Lord, and, and especially when we're at communion, this idea of examining our hearts to lay ourselves out and just say, "Lord, you know, examine me." And if there's something that's standing between me and you, and it might be something that's not standing between any other person in the world between you and God, then it needs to be reconciled and dealt with. Open your heart to the idea that that it's we're not talking about, you know, uh, things that 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 we frequently you know think of the the Ten Commandments type of thing as much as what we're talking about. Lord, is there anything? In my walk, that's interfering with our relationship that needs to be adjusted or changed. Jesus came the night he was betrayed to with his disciples and ate the meal that, uh, and during the meal, he, after giving thanks and breaking the bread, he, he holds it to them, and gives it to them, and he says, this is my body that's broken for you. And he wanted to make sure that they understood, and for all that will follow, according to what Paul relates to us, that as often as we would share this, and we see in the book of Acts that they did it as often as they gathered together, as often as we would share the idea of his bread and the cup, that we do it in remembrance of him. So let's share the bread in the remembrance of Christ. Christ emptying himself uh, uh, and, and coming to earth and becoming flesh was not enough to cover our sin. There was a price that only He could pay, and the price for sins, the wages of sin, is death. And no man can pay it because we are sinful. Only a sinless man could correct a a sinful world. So Jesus comes in the flesh. And now He holds up the cup and says, this is my blood poured out. Meaning, it's it's my life poured out to purchase the covenant. He's referring to the covenant of grace that saves us. It's not the law that saves us. It's the grace that saves us. And he said, as often as you do this, until I come again, do it in remembrance of me. Father, we are indeed grateful. I I know that it, it, it it's said over and over and over again. At the point in time that we, we try to come up with a significant word or group of words that express how thankful we are. We realize that words can't do it. But I am aware, Lord, the things that You have asked of us. That we might offer ourselves to You as a living sacrifice. That You might renew our minds, transform us and by the renewing of our minds. We know that comes through Your Word and sharing in Your Word and and allowing Your Word to enter into us in such a way that it comes over and over again and often. Lord, cause us to see Your Word as a tool of of renewing our minds, that we don't approach it once in a while, but that we we allow it to be in us constantly. Lord, bring it to mind. Bring things from Your Word to mind in every situation that we come against and come into, both joyous and those things that are of temptation and and where we need You to to intercede and, and, and strengthen us, Lord. We ask for Your Word to dominate in our lives. And we thank You, Father, that, that, again, we have Your Word, Your revelation of Yourself to us. We recognize it as the only true Word of God. And we rest with confidence in its truth. Thank You for our salvation. We worship You. Cause us to go with a confidence that the God of all creation is our Savior. In Jesus' name.